The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 26th, the thankful in spite of everything edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, although you should not look for my work over there this week unless maybe they ran one of my old pieces because I took the week off for a little holiday self-care. And of course, I am mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who is four. And I live in Navarre, Florida. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So it is indeed Thanksgiving week in the U.S. Many of you may be listening to this on Thanksgiving. We release on Thursdays. Since this year, none of us are hosting 100 cousins in our house for our annual spitting extravaganza. We are going to go around our virtual table today and talk about what we are thankful for. Plus, we've got a listener question about supporting your kids at school when you have to upend your life and move across the country, something a few of us may have a little bit of recent experience with. As always, we've got triumphs, we've got fails, we've got recommendations. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Jamila, you want to start this week? Do you have a triumph or a fail? Uh, I'm going to call this a triumph. I have raised a daughter who is so convinced that the world rotates around her <laughs> seven-year-old orbit that she, the other night... At what had to have been at least 9 p.m. Eastern time. We live in California, but we moved here from New York. And I'm from Chicago. These are important things. I get a FaceTime call from Naima, who is at her dad's house. And it's a group FaceTime chat with Naima's best friend, who lives in New York, and my mother, who lives in Chicago. <laughs> it was my mom's birthday. And so I talked to Naima about, you know, make sure you call grandma on your, you know, on her birthday so she can see your face. So I'm expecting that she's going to do that after I'd spoken to her earlier in the evening. No, she throws a party for herself with some of her favorite people so that we could entertain her on FaceTime. So my triumph is that I get to delight <laughs> in the irreverent self-centeredness of this seven-year-old. Uh, very developmentally appropriate and also that she's finding joy anywhere in 2020 and November, 2020, for God's sake. I love it. I love that. All her, I all love her favorite people, right. Uh, yeah. are now reachable from her, from her phone right. at yes. her beck and call. What Just be grateful. You're still call. one of those people. Yeah. I'm very grateful to have made the list. The last group phone call that she pulled me into included all my best friends. <laughs> Like, and I don't know that I was the first one she called. It's just like, I get a call from Naeem and like my homegirls there. She's like, hey, we calling everybody. We're calling the whole crew. So also the crew is her crew. So it's Naima's world. She sounds You're like a born social coordinator. Like that is, she's going to be the person in every group of friends who like makes shit happen. And it's, every group of friends needs that person. That's very true. Yeah. And usually it's based on being self-centered. I know because I'm the social coordinator in my group of friends <laughs> and I want fun shit to happen. Because I really like doing fun shit, so I just hassle everyone until it does. And I think my friends are grateful for that. I mean, sometimes they're like, lay off, Dan. I have not been allowed to be the social coordinator. I get occasions, like if there's a particular event or something that 
I might have either access or the ability to coordinate, then it might be allowed or something that no one else wants to coordinate, but that we all want to do. But otherwise, like there's just an incident of my friends having to watch me do a whole De La Soul song by myself at hip hop karaoke in our like early 20s that is always raised as like, this is what happens when Jamila <laughs> plans the fun. Even though it was one of the most fun nights of my little backpack hip hop head life that yeah. I got to perform this song in public. Which song? But um, take the time. Okay, good. Yeah, I don't understand your friends at all on that front. My hunch is that possibly there have been other organizational related things that possibly have gone awry on Jamila organized outings based on the story of your recent <laughs> hike, at least. That is also possible. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth, triumph or fail? I have a fail. Yesterday, I decided at like three that um, as something to do, we should like gather the children. Well, Jeff had called and said he was working late and wouldn't be able to be home. So I thought, perfect, I'll get the kids all like dressed up and we'll go to the beach and take Christmas photos like at sunset. This will be so fun. And so I told the kids to like go change into clothes for Christmas photos. And Henry came back dressed as like, essentially a lumberjack, which I guess, okay, Christmas thematic. And Teddy picked out this reindeer sweater that he's been waiting to wear um, because he's seen his brothers wear it. And, and like, as soon as it went to his side of the closet, he's been so excited. And then Oliver came out in a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. And I was just like, all right, cool, we'll roll with it. We like get in the car, the beach is nine minutes away. And somehow in that nine minutes, Henry has convinced Oliver that when Sint comes, and Sint is the Dutch, like Santa Claus, and he comes on the 5th. Um, and the whole shtick with him is like, um, he knocks on the door. And when you open the door, if you've been good, there's a bag of gifts. And if you've been bad, you are grabbed and taken back to Spain with him. So Henry has oh, convinced no. Oliver that he's definitely getting grabbed. And so Oliver is crying like profusely. Um, I think the grabbing was because he didn't change into a Christmas sweater. It's unclear. But anyway, we get to the beach. Oliver is like just like eyes so red. But I'm like, OK, we're going to do these pictures. I had brought like a christmas quilt and like all our decorations that are in boxes in the garage because we're getting ready to put them out like had all those i brought them all to the beach like set them all up <laughs> and just like in the water is like basically a, a aquarium like there are dolphins jumping there are um like these rays swimming in groups of like 20 to 50 just right where the waves crash there's like pelicans everywhere fishing which i know sounds like a magical trip to the beach unless you're trying to get the kids to look at the camera so they're like <laughs> running amok right and i still just like don't abandon this pursuit i just like attempt despite all these signs all from heaven these, that i should just be like right. like i come on here and i preach like be with your children, be in the moment, right? Like I should have just been like, this is this is not a Christmas card trip. This is like, enjoy the magic that's happening as this beautiful sunset is happening and there's animals everywhere. Like, this is amazing. No, I'm like trying to force them to take pictures. I end up with this photo. All of my children are doing exactly what you would expect. <laughs> Oliver is like screaming. Teddy want, wants to just go to the beach. And Henry is just staring at me with this, like, I hate you. I hate you that I am here. I hate you. So this is this is the best of the photos, guys. So Mary I'm going to describe Henry's expression as Jim in the office staring at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. What, what is happening? I love it. Great job not doing anything you preach. That's a classic parenting move. Uh, and honestly, the photos still turned out cute. You have cute kids. 
It did. It's an engaging photo. You wonder what happened there. (laughs) Right. I would do a collage on the card where you could see like some of the worst photos and just make that one like the largest. And I would also include one where I zoomed in on Henry's face. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's a great idea. Actually, the back of the card should just all be outtakes like the blooper. Yeah, (laughs) it is a great idea. (laughs) I also have a fail this week. Uh, My fail is also Christmas related, but it's about Christmas lists. I think I've complained about this on previous Christmas seasons on the show, but every year we just get stuck in this endless dance with our parents about Christmas lists because grandparents require Christmas lists for particularly for teenage kids who I I agree are really hard to buy for. Grandparents want the presents they're going to get for those kids to be meaningful, but they have no idea like what the kids like. They count on the kids to provide lists, but it turns out that, our kids are just not interested in making Christmas lists. It is not an activity that they think would be fun. They don't like looking around at things online. They don't like coming up with things they might want. No matter how many times we tell them, this is basically like if you put something on a list for your grandparents, you're guaranteeing that you're going to get it as opposed to them giving you something that you don't like or want. And this is just four weeks away. Can't you spend just like a little bit of time doing this, but they just never, ever do. So we just have to nag them for weeks. They have to be showered. I know exactly. That's, I just keep being like, your life is great. And all you have to do to ensure it's continued greatness is spend 10 minutes making a list of things you want people to hand you on a silver platter and they'll do it, but they just don't want to do it. And then there's all this coordinating with grandparents because if you don't, coordinate the kids will just put the same three things on each grandparents list and then you they end up with three of each of those things which they arguably didn't even need one of whatever they were and each year alia and i are like at some point we're like fuck this next year the grandparents can just email the kids directly text them directly the kids can text their list back to them you do not need to cc us on those texts or emails we withdraw. We withdraw from the process. You guys work it out amongst yourselves. So, of course, this year we absolutely completely failed to withdraw. And last night, for the already thousandth time this holiday season, we just ended up like barging into our children's rooms and being like, did you finish the list for Kiki? What did you put on it? Why is this on this? And why haven't you sent it to Pop-Pop? Okay, you can't think of anything you want. Just like... Go to the H&M website and pick five things at random and paste them into an email. Just do it. Um, And there's just this incredible hassling of them. And it takes all the fun out of Christmas, or at least the pre-Christmas rigmarole for us and them. It's like night after night of this. I don't know a solution. And I don't think there probably is a solution unless our kids just somehow magically become good at it. I think there's lots of solutions. (laughs) I definitely have solutions in mind. All right, let's hear your solutions and I'll tell you okay. why I think they won't work. I don't understand why <laughs> there's no there's no consequence for them, right? Like what I would do is be like, on this date, I'm making your list and I'm turning it into grandma and grandma and we'll see what it's like when you don't make the list. And I put a bunch of stuff either that you think they need or that you want. <laughs> but there is a consequence to that because the whole point of this is that these lists aren't for them. They're for the grandparents. All the grandparents care about is that when they open a Christmas present, they are happy. 
And so if we're at Kiki's house at Christmas, if God forbid we actually can go somewhere at Christmas and they open a present and they're like, what is this? Kiki is going to be crestfallen and that's our fault. They will see that. No, our kids won't have a fucking clue. Jamila, what's your what's your solution? <laughs> Haven't the girls graduated to the gift card age? It seems like the yeah. most thrilling thing they could do would be to shop for themselves. Grandparents hate gift cards. Grandparents do not want to give gift cards. I know. I, I go through this with my own mom. Like, it's taken years. It's like, she's asking for clues now. And I'm like, Mom, we've been going through this since I was your girl's age. Yeah. And she stopped knowing how to shop for me. But I do think that, like... At some point, maybe there's a cutoff. And then at that point, you say, you know, you come up with maybe it's, I don't know what they spend on these presents, but like saying, as opposed to it being one gift card that, you know, they'll get three gift cards. Like, so say if it was a hundred dollar gift, they get three, you know, $33. They would like $33 gift card. Round number, but like whatever stores they actually like, and they'll just have to suck it up and deal with it. I mean, I'm not yet to the point where I can tell these people to suck it up and deal with it, which are my parents and Alia's mom. Like I'm not. No, I mean, oh, I'm at the kids. No, they're I mean, the ones. Think, yeah. They're the ones who whose feelings are at stake here. Then why is it not a sit down right now? All three, li- you're not leaving, just like a mean teacher. Yeah, we, don't leave your desk. Because we do that, and somehow the result is the same list for all three people or a list that actually only had two things on it even after they sat down for an hour and they email it and then we look at their email and or a grandparent emails us and was like this isn't enough and then we're like then we have to go back to them i know what a uh completely absurd fail this is and i know what a wonderful position my children are in to have grandparents who love them so much who want to dote on them and send them things that they love who care about their opinions and care about making them happy. Yeah. Yes. But nonetheless, every year I'm like, that's it. Ages 10 and 12 are the last year that we're going to do their Christmas lists. And here we are at 13 and 15. And we still spent hours of our time like managing the Christmas list situation. Okay. One last question. Mm. Do they ask for things periodically or do they spend their like if if you know if lyra wants a book if harper wants lipstick like are they going into their allowance for these things or can they ask you for that stuff Great they question. mostly go into their own allowance for this stuff okay yeah. so i was gonna say, i was wondering like if there was a point in the year in which yeah. like when they start asking for things you're like no <laughs> just going on your list i'm right right well i mean list. that would actually honestly be helpful but we have i mean a, it's good in many ways that we've reached the point where for most of their fun purchases for most of their discretionary purchases it's just their allowance or the money that you know lyra has earned at the job that she worked at that's good because it means that we don't have to worry about that and that they're mostly taking care of this getting the stuff that they want it's bad and that we don't get the chance to be like to do the classic parent thing that we did when they were five or six or seven where we'd be like starting in august we're like what a perfect thing for your christmas list and then it was taken care of Okay, this is my final, final mm-hmm. word. I would take a risk, mm-hmm. have Sephora gift card be one grandparent's item. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because I think they're at the shopping it. Even if you just did like $10 or $20 of a Sephora gift card. When she or he sees that reaction, I think that might change the tide of gift cards a little bit. All right. Specifically Sephora. Not just the Visa gift cards to shop anywhere, but Sephora. All right. I'll pitch it. We'll see how it goes. I don't want to interrupt, but I might actually have a non-gift card solution for you. This is our producer, Rosie. Let's hear it. 
So my twin sister, Anna, and I, we've got December birthdays and we celebrate Christmas. So in the run up to the holidays, we were lucky enough to have, you know, family members asking us what we wanted. And when we were about, I would say about Harper's age, like in middle school, we were definitely those preteens that were like so incredibly unhelpful when it came to like telling people what we wanted. We were also definitely those preteens that like could not keep our room clean. It was like a constant battle. So when we were sitting down to open up gifts that year, Anna would open up one gift and it was like Clorox wipes and I would open up the next one and it was like, you know, glass cleaner. And then she would open up the next one and it was like disinfectant. Just bought you cleaning supplies. Yeah, cleaning supply after cleaning supply. It wasn't only from our parents, it was from our aunts and uncles too. Like everyone was in on it. And we kept being like, oh, haha, this is so funny. Like, when are we getting to our real presents? And there was one big box in the corner. And we're like, okay, you know, this has been fun. Like, we learned our lesson. Like, can we have the big present now? And so we open up the big present and it's a vacuum cleaner. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. If Lyra and Harper aren't cooperating, like, maybe it's time for a cleaning supply year. And plus, like, You wouldn't have to necessarily disappoint the grandparents because, like, they could be in on the joke, too. That's pretty great, actually. And the joy, the joy, Dan, came from being part part of the joke. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet they made lists after that. After that, we were pretty good at telling people what we wanted. Congratulations to Rosie for coming up with a solution to this problem that Elizabeth and Jamila could not. I'm definitely pitching this next year. I say you pitch it this year. I'm not doing it this year because I've already sunk 100 hours into getting these lists out to the grandparents. And I'm not wasting that time. But next year, game on. Thank you, Rosie Belson. (laughs) And of course, if any of those grandparents are listening right now, we love you. We're so grateful for everything you do. And we don't mind making these lists at all. The problem is you love them too much. You're willing to do all this so that they feel satisfied watching your children open a gift for which you struggled to have them make the list. If any of the grandparents are listening, the problem is I love you too much. That's right. (laughs) All right. Before we move on to the rest of the show, let's talk some business. In Slate Plus today, we're going to duke it out over the greatest and the worst Thanksgiving foods. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. This is not a controversial opinion. In fact, we are all we're in agreement with you. In fact, this is why, like when people joke about Black Thanksgiving and White Thanksgiving, it's the green bean casserole alone has done such a that's the difference maker has done such a disservice to your people's culinary reputation. <laughs> like literally, that's the joke. To hear segments like that and to get ad free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just thirty five bucks for your first year, and it's a great way to support all your favorite Slate podcasts. And you won't hit a paywall on the site, so you can keep up with all of Slate's journalism, print, and audio. So, if you want to support this show, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. If you have not checked out Jamila's Slate Live show, The Kids Are Asleep, you're really missing out. She's got great guests, great attitude, great fun late at night. She's normally streaming on Thursdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific. She's off tonight. For Thanksgiving, but you can catch all her past shows on Slate's YouTube and Facebook pages or check out slate.com slash live. Sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about everything Slate publishes about parenting, including Mom and Dad are Fighting, The Kids Are Asleep, Ask a Teacher, Care and Feeding, and much, much more. Plus, every week I just send a personal feelingsy email so you can get it. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. 
And finally, you want even more parenting advice? Just join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active and it's super moderated, so it doesn't get too out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. All right, let's move on to our listener question this week. It's being read, as always, by Shasha Leonard, for whom we are immensely thankful on this Thanksgiving. Dear Mom and Dad, my family is embarking on a cross-country move in a couple of weeks, moving from our small farming town to Washington, D.C. on military orders. It has been quite a few years since we have done one of those, and this one is the most complicated and stressful one yet. My husband is only on a one-year contract, and this is the last duty station before my husband retires. The last crazy thing we have to do to make it through, before we are done. When it's all over, at the beginning of next school year, we plan to return to the town where we live now. My big parenting issue for this move is supporting my sons with school. The oldest is in middle school and goes to an amazing school that has agreed to allow him to spend the rest of the year remote learning with them. Instead of weekly meetups, he will be sending them video clips from museums and monuments that are related to the class studies. He is nervous, but excited. Our second son is in fourth grade. He is on the autism spectrum with severe speech delay and does better in a more traditional teaching environment. While his teacher and special education teacher are happy to support us and our remote learning, even offering to Zoom with him at 9 a.m., 6 a.m. their time, the school has said if they know we are not living in our town, he cannot attend the school, even virtually. Now it seems I will be homeschooling him. Even the thought of this makes me cry. If it goes anything like the remote learning he did in spring, I'm afraid he will get even farther behind his same age peers. I am a teacher, but I am not a special education teacher, and really struggle getting my son to recognize the difference between loving mom and teacher mom. To add to the mix, we also have our three-year-old son that I will also need to keep engaged. I have used some of Elizabeth's tips and made morning baskets that he loves. I just want to know how I can do this. I am so afraid of failing my children. My husband has been amazing at supporting me and our sons, but this job will not allow him the time at home to help me. Where do I start? How do I manage without crying to my son's special education teacher every week because I'm tired of doing that? At the very least, can you promise me I am not going to completely mess up my children this year? Yes, I promise you that you are not going to mess your children up in what seems like less than a year. Like this seems like a short term kind of situation between now and maybe the start of school next year. I really just think take some pressure off yourself. Sometimes as parents, we just have to do like what's what's right for our kids, even if that is like different than what everyone else is doing. And so I think that when you move, it's like everything is going to be upheaved. Like you're best laid plans with your other two are also (laughs) going to be just a mess. Like every time we move, the school situation is different. I mean, I thought moving here to Florida that we would put the kids in school like we had had the kids in school in the Netherlands. I thought they were going to go to school here. And it just turned out like that wasn't a great fit for us. It sounds like that's kind of what's happening here. Now, it's possible that you find something for your fourth grader. There are now like virtual options in D.C. when you move. But I would advise that you start looking for that now or looking for the support systems that you need for him. I think it is also okay to say we're going to homeschool and homeschooling is going to look fundamentally different than what virtual schooling looked like for you. Because when you're homeschooling, you are doing the things that 
you want to do. Like you're in control. So if if sitting down and doing worksheets or whatever you were doing in virtual school that didn't work, don't do that in your homeschool. If what he learns really well is like using the computer, then find computer-based stuff and let him do that. If what works really well is being out doing things to the best of the ability, like it sounds like you have some plans with your older son to go do some things and be out places and visiting, like take your other kids with and make that part of what they're they're learning. It's okay for it to look different. I also think... Um, and. I mean, Dan, hopefully you're going to talk a little bit about moving the kids around when you were traveling. But I mean, I think like a few months somewhere, which is basically what you're talking about, it's okay to kind of take a break and kind of just do the bare minimum to keep everybody, you know, educated and make sure our brains are still working and moving towards some small goals. But it's okay to just say, hey, this is kind of a wash. I mean, it's 2020 anyway, like the, the you know, as things kind of get back to going to normal, I think we're going to be adjusting to a, to a lot of these changes that have been made and figuring out where people are and, you know, what those standards that we set in a normal year look like. So I think it's okay to just relax, take it easy, focus more on the moving part and getting people situated and being able to enjoy where you are and see how things fall into place. I just, it just feels like this from this letter, like you've put so much pressure to have this perfect school situation for this fourth grader. And I just think letting yourself feel like, you know what, it's going to be kind of a mess. So how can we make this as good as we can for the kids to have the best experience? Jamila, you also moved across the country recently and had to work out a school situation for your daughter. What's your advice? I would certainly echo everything that Elizabeth had to say and add, um, be prepared to change. It's okay if a school year starts or a semester starts with you being, or a month or a week starts with you being in one school and you end up finding that another school is better, right? It could be that your eldest son doesn't do as well with remote learning um, from across the country than you thought he might. Um, and, and that finding something local, even if it is still distance learning, would be better for him as it relates to your youngest son being as adaptable, like being willing to try things and for them to not work and to try something else and just to give yourself the grace that you're not a special education teacher. You can't be expected to perform at the same level as one. What you can do is ensure that your son is healthy and loved and supported and that there is concerted effort being put forward to give him a valuable academic experience this year. And a lot of children are going to fall behind. And I I don't think, I, I think we need to, remind ourselves that being behind in school is not a moral failing on the part of the child or the parent. It's not necessarily reflective of the child's intellectual capabilities. Um, And at times, it's not even reflective of the quality of education that they've had access to. There are so many circumstances that uh, your particular family is dealing with right now that will make any sort of learning difficult for either of your children. And that's okay. It's unfortunate, but it's something that we have to accept so that we don't create a standard or an expectation that we can't live up to only to be disappointed with ourselves a year from now or frustrated or uh, feeling guilty or beating ourselves up because we weren't able to perform like the people that were trained to do uh, the sort of work that 
parents like yourself are attempting to do or that because our children who we thought were doing okay in their distance learning programs are, are not testing at the level that we perhaps thought that they would be at this point in their academic career. And I just want to add for your eldest to just be mindful of his transition uh, and any challenges he may be facing. I know it's going to be important that a lot of focus is put onto your uh, fourth graders education this year, particularly because you're going to be managing it if you don't find a program online, which I strongly encourage you to do, or um, seeking out some support outside of doing the run of the homeschooling yourself. Uh, I think that that would give you a lot of peace. And I, I hope that you don't think that because you're a teacher, that that's reason enough to feel like you shouldn't um, be looking outside of yourself for some solutions. But as far as your eldest goes, you know, even though people are physically distant from their neighbors in many circumstances right now, he will likely be feeling um, the impact of being physically removed from his friends and seeing them remotely could make that a bit more bittersweet um, than you might have anticipated. So, you know, encouraging him to, if he's a, a you know, someone who's using, uh, social networks or email or any ways of staying in touch with his friends from back uh, in, in your previous home that he continues to do that. And I think it's really important that, you know, at, at 12 years old, that he's, be if he has not created lifelong friendships yet, that he has an opportunity to start doing so. And one great way of doing that would be staying in touch with these kids um, that he's still going to be in class with for the next year. This is all really good advice. The one last thing that I would add is I think it, it will be really hard for this letter writer, no matter what advice we give and what advice she follows, to not feel like the answer to that final question of hers is, yes, she's going to worry that she is going to completely mess her children up this year, particularly her middle child. And the reassurance I can offer you is that you're in a very unique position compared to a lot of people who have to do some kind of big move when their kids are at a difficult spot. This is one thing about this letter that I could speak to. It's the same safety net that we had when we did our trip, which is at the end of this experience, you're taking your kids back to a known place and a known quantity where you had a pretty good setup and where you know that they have teachers in a school that really care about them. The links that your fourth graders, teacher and special ed teacher, are willing to go to to try and help him, even though the school mm -hmm. itself couldn't make that happen, are pretty remarkable. And they speak really well to the commitment and love that those teachers have for your kid and for their jobs. And whatever happens in this year, whether your children have a good experience or a bad experience or as is likely some something in the middle, next school year – they're going to be back in that place with those teachers who are there knowing what they will have gone through and ready to pick them up and help push them along and help get them back to the place where they want to be. And so you've got a safety net that not everyone has. And I hope that you can find a way to, if nothing else makes you feel a little bit better, to let that make you feel a little bit better about whatever happens this year, them having the ability to catch up and be in a more comfortable place next year. And what that means is that, as Elizabeth says, you can and should try to relax the grip of panic that you currently have on yourself and the expectations that you're putting on yourself about school particularly. 
and try to do the best you can to take advantage of what this year offers you, which may not be the ideal school scenario for your kids, but is an exciting and new place full of big cultural opportunities, big learning opportunities, and big experiences that they're not going to get in that little farm town on the West Coast that you're moving from. So embrace those to the extent that you can, knowing that a year from now, your kids have a lot of support to get them back academically to the place that you want them to be. I think, too, if you can um, take some time now or if if you're moving, you know, I'm not sure how your timeline is, but there are a lot of great resources, both like within the military, reaching out to, you know, spouses groups, there, homeschoolers in the military, like all of these people have Facebook groups. There are ones specifically for people homeschooling people on the spectrum, like all of these exist. And in my experience have been the best resource for me moving there, um, either to connect with people or just to go and like troll, you know, through everything and just lurk and read and observe absorb that information to know what what people are doing in your circumstance there so that you can come in with that wealth of knowledge because it's a short time you won't have that much time to like spin up these things so if there are specifically like support that you need you should try to line that up now and i think also just finding even if it's only ever um like an internet friend when we moved to the netherlands i had like met the one other american in our town over um the internet and i think i've told this story before but like i was walking through town on my second day there and she called out my name because there were just so few americans that i had to be the new one (laughs) after hearing us talk and i think those kind of connections like Her and I were friends, but we didn't hang out as much um, as one would have thought. But what she did was open up everything in Delft to me. Like when I got there, I already knew where all these things I, I was going to need were because she had told me. And so I think if you can find that before you move, you've taken a couple months off of that like initial get used to things. And if you can do that in the schooling, so find out what resources other people who are in your position are using so that you know that they're there when they go. And that that will ease, you know, your transition. And I completely agree with Dan, too, about just like there is there's no pressure here. You're going back to a known where people love you and support you. So, you know, have your goal be to enjoy and take advantage of this opportunity. I believe that American in Delft is the reason we met you. Yeah, true. That's correct. (laughs) All right. Good luck, listener. Please let us know how it goes. It's going to be a tough move, but we believe in you. You can do it. And we believe in your kids, too. If you've got a question for us, email us, slate.com, or you can just post it in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's move on to our second topic today. It's Thanksgiving. Honestly, it seems like kind of a wild year to even have a Thanksgiving 
Like maybe the people who run the calendar, like Julius Caesar or whoever it is, should have just done two Thanksgivings in 2021 and skip it this year. But it's here. The holiday is here and we're here. We've made it this far. And maybe it's even more useful to think about what you're thankful for in a year like this than it is in any ordinary year. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we're thankful for. And maybe you, our listeners, will write back to us and tell us what you're thankful for. But Jamila, you want to take it first? What are you thankful for in the year 2020? Well, first and foremost, um, before all things, there is, of course, Naima, the center of the entire universe and most certainly of my, as we know uh and certainly of my own she has been resilient she has been just really a, a joy to raise uh for the past seven years and this past you know year really for us uh, of difficulty and transition with two moves and a cross-country move and changing schools and changing back and a pandemic and a lot of death and loss and sadness and you know distance just a complete upheaval of her little life. And, you know, I, I definitely see the depression and anxiety and uh, worry that is set in. You know, I'm not going to pretend that she's unscathed, uh, that we don't have to pay, you know, particular attention to how we care for her and all children in this moment. But in spite of all, she's just really made me very proud uh, and very honored and humbled to be her mother. Um, and then after that, I have to say space moving to a bigger place, um, not being completely on top of each other and being able to breathe in our apartment. And then the space access that having a car has given us because that's not something we had a year ago so that we can get somewhere and be publicly distanced from other people and, you know, be on the open road or on, you know, La Brea Avenue, just listen to music away from the house, away from kind of the trapped feeling that, you know, a pandemic will give you even in a more spacious apartment. So I'm super, super grateful for those things. I think it goes without saying that we're all also uh, thankful for our kids, but I think that that's a lovely note that you can be particularly thankful in a year that taxes someone when you see how resilient they are and how well they respond to a difficult situation. To be fair, she earned her number one spot this year. It's not a <laughs> given. It's not a given. Okay, there are times where other people, places, and things might have come first. But uh, and I, yeah. it was a battle in my head between her and space. But ultimately, she won. But space is great too. That matters so much. I remember when we left New York and came down here. Just the difference that that a basement made, or just that that our our environment just seemed to open up in a major way, and and that our kids felt like they could run free in a way that we weren't yet ready to let them do in New York. Although I think had they been a little bit older, the, that equation would have been a little bit different, but that really matters too. Elizabeth, what about you? Yeah. So I am very thankful this year. I, for, I want to say my community and that is like my family and my friends who have like really been there during this time because I love to like travel and be out there. I always felt like I needed to be in the orbit of lots of people and have lots of people in my orbit. Like that was something that was important to me and that I liked, like meeting lots of new people and staying connected with them. And what the pandemic really did was like pare that down. Like when I'm not out there meeting anyone new, like I've acquired very few new friends in 2020, which is un like unusual for me. I'm usually meeting a lot of people and, and including them um, in my life. And that hasn't happened, but also just being like, hey, this is okay. Like my family unit has done 
pretty well in terms of being together and being enough. The kids have been enough for each other. That was one of the things we always wanted about having three kids was this idea that as we were traveling and moving around that they would have each other. But we'd always been in a position in which we also had other people. And so seeing like, hey, they the kids really do play with each other and we are enough to go do these activities that we like to do just with us. We don't have to have another family in tow. We don't have to be including our entire group. And just that the friends that I have made over the past years like have really been there regardless of where they are in the world. And that has been this wonderful little like in this big world, I do have this this little small community and we're not all here. And yet it feels like they're here to support me on the, you know, all the bad days we've had during the pandemic where the things you would normally do to make yourself feel better are unavailable. And so being able to lean on those people you know, both my family and kind of that extended orbit. So I am so thankful for that and showing me kind of what I have, like that this exists there without other people. Although I look forward to getting back out there one day. To ever meeting anyone new ever again. <laughs> yes. I, I hope in 2021 I meet yes. someone new. But <laughs> Sure hope to have friends again. Yep. Well, I'm thankful for something that it's a, a sort of similar to what Elizabeth said, but uh, it's very particular. I'm thankful for our pandemic bubble, for our pod. And long-term listeners may remember, right now Rosie's shaking her head. Long-term listeners may remember me taking a lot of shit from listeners and members of the Facebook group who were justifiably worried about decisions that everyone in America was making in the late spring and early summer of 2020. But I have to say that I feel really comfortable in we're not at the end of everything, but as the pandemic is starting to feel like it ha- there's an end in sight, it's clear to me that what has gotten me and my family emotionally through this time has been this group that we have bubbled with. Every Friday, we gather in a backyard, spaced out around a fire, and we talk about our lives and our weeks and what has been going on. And without that time with these people who I care about, I would have gone completely batshit insane in, during this period. And Harper, you know, social animal extraordinaire, has had a friend to bond with when she needed it the most, thanks to this group of neighbors. We've been really careful. We've communicated with each other really, really well. When there's been times that people have needed to go outside the bubble, they've let other people know. And so we've taken breaks from each other. We, knock on wood, have all remained safe and virus-free thus far, I think because of the communication. And I'm really thankful for that. I think that that has been, uh, honestly, more than anything else, the thing that has made this year tolerable for me. And I know that there are a million ways they could have gone wrong or sideways if the communication had been bad or if it turned out someone wasn't trustworthy or if I had fucked up, but it hasn't. And I'm really grateful for that group. I think that uh, a lot of folks who, you know, myself included, who originally, uh, and like you said, justifiably so, took issue yeah. with the idea of the pods, um, have adopted pods, you know, have or have started to, you know, even if it's not in the sense of we've got this weekly ritual or we've got this regular schedule of seeing each other, but like we've identified, you know, one or two people within our communities that we're still seeing. I mean, honestly... 
And I didn't catch the same sort of, you know, nor should I have, but my pod was always Naima's dad's household, you know, like unless we'd gotten to a point where, you know, and there was a a shutdown moment where nobody was going to the store anymore and everybody was ordering things online. But when that, you know, changed, essentially that, you know, what I'm exposed to, they're exposed to and vice versa. And it's been that way, you know, all along. So I, I just and I can't fathom any, you know, set of circumstances in which either household would be OK if Naima had just, you know, if we just decided she was going to stay at one place. We're making it as best we can. Yeah, that's w- which is what everyone is doing yeah. at this point and throughout. And it's it is remarkable, I think, to think back on the very early days of the pandemic when information was so thin on the ground and none of us really knew what the risks were of any particular activity. And it's hard for me to get particularly angry about anything that happened in those early days because everyone, just like me, was dealing with shit the best that they could and trying their best to keep the people they love safe and trying their best to keep things from falling apart. And and it's been heartening to me that as it's become more clear what truly is risky um, and the levels of risk associated with different kinds of activities that at least in the sort of very broad social circles and in this I'm including like the Facebook group and our large pool of listeners, it seems like people have really come to terms with what constitutes a risk and how much of a risk it constitutes and understand the different ways that people are making decisions and uh and are being i think accepting and understanding of the ways that we are all processing this and appropriately skeptical when people are taking risks that seem extra dangerous or extra problematic but less i think judgmental and i certainly feel much less judgmental about things than i did seven or eight months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, when we thought it was two weeks or when the discussion was like, let's do a two week shutdown versus like understanding that this was going to be a year or more, right? That this is a long term goal. And what do you need for that? Now, I will say my pandemic pod fell apart as as uh, <laughs> as things do in Florida. I mean, yep. just yeah. as life happened here and things didn't shut down here, our decisions and the decisions of the people in our pod, like it was easy when we were all on lockdown. And honestly, our little county had nine cases at that point, right? The decisions that you make when there's nine cases and they all are tied to travel, nothing else is happening versus where Florida eventually went. And then um, the other people in our pod having their kids, you know, go back to school, like things like that really changed our our risk assessment and what we were going to do and also saying like well what are we going to do as a family what allows us to do things like go camping and do these things okay well that's tightening this up and you know having this be a little bit tighter and then uh, i think also like our incessant hurricane evacuations that we couldn't predict (laughs) kind of play it was like we were always quarantining to either prepare to evacuate well we're not going to stay here but we also don't want to bring anything anywhere like all of that like i could not have seen any of that um in march of course not (laughs) so really quickly i just want to say what a what a transition from outrage over pods to coronavirus is over and we're just going to get together with 12 of our friends for thanksgiving this year Ugh. I see. I can still be at least be a tiny bit judgy. All right. We've all done our very serious, thoughtful Thanksgiving thanks. But now I want to hear your shallowest, silliest. This is the thing I'm thankful for 
uh, right now because, man, I just love it. I'm going to go first. I'm extremely thankful for this extremely soft and fuzzy hoodie that I impulse purchased on Amazon like two months ago. And that, as you probably have noticed, I've worn every single day since then. It's yellow and bright like the sun. And I feel like it's my own little seasonal affective disorder lamp shining in my house. And it feels so good. And boy, do I love it. That's my extremely shallow thing that I'm thankful for in 2020. What about you guys? I am thankful for this like little wobble board we got to stand on at our standing desk. It's called a fluid stance and it sounds so stupid, but when all of the like house rearranging happened to make space for Jeff to work from home and for like the Lego room moving, cause everyone was just trying, we were trying to get five of us to use this space all the time. We bought this, like it is literally like a tiny wobble board that you stand on at the standing desk. And it makes my desk something that I'm like excited to go to. It makes Jeff not as antsy because he's getting some workout when he's at home. And the I can like mark the difference between when we got this thing <laughs> and before the time, just in like the ability that the office can be somewhere where you're like standing and, and getting a little bit of energy out and getting something done and kind of an oasis away from the kids because the whole rest of the house belongs to them. <laughs> so this stupid little board that we just love and, and makes us... Uh, feel like you're kind of playing and can wobble around and balance and you feel a little bit tired after doing your standing at the computer, which is nice as opposed to just like everyone sitting around all the time. In fact, it's so nice. I bought one for the kids, hoping it would have the same effect. <laughs> and? No, I mean, it, it is good because they stand <laughs> and do their work, but it, they don't they don't get the same joy out of it yeah. that I get. Yeah. Jamila, what about you? My most shallow uh, source of gratitude right now comes from, even though I have a very profound sense of gratitude for this person and her music, I don't want to make it shallow, but listening to Megan Thee Stallion's new album, Good News, <laughs> in my super cool green convertible weird car, I told this to a friend of mine the other day who uh, was feeling a little down, and, or I know is, is going through a difficult period and I felt could relate. I'm like... As critical as I am about myself, my appearance, my career, like any number of things, what I do know for certain is that this moment in my life, I am a superhero to like 12 year old me. <laughs> I've got a closet full of like interesting clothes. I drive a fun car and I've now we've got this album to listen to by Megan Thee Stallion's called Good News. If you're not into that kind of hip hop, that's not your entry point. Just move along. But <laughs> like, this is no place to start. But if you are a fan or if you've heard some of her music and, and, and uncensored versions of her music, again, this is not an entry point album, but if you're familiar with her or if you're familiar with raunchy hip hop, um, it is a very fun, uh, very, very, very well put together record, I think. And yes, driving around, terrorizing uh, the people of Los Angeles with my loud music and my <laughs> booming system. That is my shallow joy. Oh, there's nothing shallow about finding exactly the right album to bump in your convertible, for God's sake. It's, it's There's nothing deeper than that. I love it. Listeners, tell us what you're thankful for. Send us an email, slate.com. We want to know. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit next week. We'll, if we get some good responses, we'll read them out because we want to know both the deep things and the shallow things that y'all are thankful for. And of course, I can't let this moment go by without noting that I'm very thankful for the two of you and Rosie too. You've all helped me with my parenting, giving me a million laughs Aww. in this, the stupidest year ever. So here's to many more great conversations in better years ahead. 
Indeed. Thank you, Dan. Very thankful for you, too. This has been the, you know, the constant of 2020. This, this, you, you four little squares. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yes. <laughs> Every it's week. all I can count on. That's <laughs> all I can count on. All right. Let's move on to some recommendations. Elizabeth, what are you going to recommend first? Because I cannot help turning any, you know, event into a homeschooling lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am recommending that this Thanksgiving you find out whose indigenous land you are on. Um, you can do that at native-land.ca. So that's run by the nonprofit organization Native Land Digital. And they actually have, you can like text this number. There's an app. There's a, um, you can just message them on Facebook. So we will put all of that in the show notes, how to get in touch with them. I love this because it's a great way to start a conversation about indigenous lands. The map is super interesting if you're looking at it on the computer and it's a fun thing to do. When you go travel again, you can check your like whose land you're on at any time. But I think there's like a step further that you can take it to. And I love the Instagram account at Sit By My Fire. And right now she has a list of Native American um, Heritage Months books posted for children. But she has all kinds of great activities that really focus on incorporating the sacredness of the land um, that you're on and the things about the area you are that made it so important to the culture of the indigenous people that were there. And I think that is a wonderful, really approachable way to get to know the history of the United States kind of prior to being colonized. And then, of course, also an entry point into talking about what colonization looked like. So I found it really fun. We looked it up and it turns out that we are on Muskegee land or Creek land. And from there, um, found some great books just by using this book list and looking up which ones were written by Creek authors and uh, had a really like great discussion and, and a fun a fun thing to do and get your little homeschool lesson in on Thanksgiving. I think that's super great. I think for a lot of white Americans, their first introduction to this notion of thinking more deeply about who first lived on the land that you're living on may have come during the Oscars this year when Taika Waititi did a whole little thing about thanking the Native people on whose land the theater where the Oscars was held took place. And that's been actually quite a common and growing trend in academia and in other contexts. It's something that has been done for years in New Zealand and Australia and is pretty commonplace now at the beginning of any gathering. Um, And I do think that over the next couple of years, even if you are a person who right now thinks, oh, that seems like a little, uh, you know, is that necessary right now in 2020? I think you're going to be surprised the extent to which it is going to be adopted broadly across the culture, thinking more deeply about the about who wants to own the land on which things are happening now. And I think you will eventually accept that and come to realize how valuable and important that it is. So there's no better time to start than right now. That's a great recommendation. Jamila, what about you? That is a great recommendation. I am recommending for those who are able to access legal cannabis products, Emerald Sky Peanut Butter Cups. Oh my goodness. These are edibles. Uh, they come in a number of dosages. Most of them have uh, five milligrams per peanut butter cup. Uh, some have 10. 
They come in indica, sativa, and hybrid varieties. And if you're someone like me who I enjoy edibles from time to time, but I'm not really into the flavor that a lot of them have, like I wouldn't normally be eating sugar-coated gummy candy. So eating sugar-coated gummy candy in order to take in cannabis isn't really doing anything but forcing new sugar into an already very sugar-rich diet. Uh, But I do enjoy eating peanut butter cups. And these taste you know, almost as close to a regular peanut butter cup uh, as possible. Unlike the delicious uh, but chalky inside of a Reese's peanut butter cup, these peanut butter cups actually have like a soft, somewhat creamy peanut butter filling. And they're absolutely delicious. So Emerald Sky products where legal cannabis products are sold. Those sound delicious. I can't wait to eat one and be like, man, I wish I could eat like 10 more of these, but then not do it because I'm not Marine Dowd. <laughs> uh, all right. I am recommending a Canadian television series, which many people found long before I did. It's a lovely comedy drama set in Canada with a group of lovable wackos that you're going to love. It's Slings and Arrows. A Canadian television series set uh, backstage at a Shakespeare theater uh, just outside of Toronto. It came out uh, maybe 15 years or so ago. It's best known in America, I think, for being the launching pad for Rachel McAdams' career. It's the first thing that she did that uh, brought her to prominence. It's what she got cast in Mean Girls out of. We had never watched it. It had been recommended to me like 10 million times. But we finally started watching it with our kids. And it is an incredibly good theater story just a story of the weirdness and craziness of theater people it is suffused with a love of shakespeare and of live performance it is very funny about how egocentric and idiotic theater people can be while also showing them great affection it takes theater seriously while also having fun it's just a really 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 good series we finished season one we now have just started season two the first episode of season two is i think the best season premiere I've ever seen and one of the best episodes of television I've ever watched. Our kids really like it. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to find on streaming. Mm. So um, we are watching it on DVDs. Remember DVDs? We're watching it on DVDs uh, that we have borrowed some from friends, but you can also buy it on Amazon or at your local DVD store. Uh, but it's really, really, really good. And I would highly recommend watching it with teenagers, especially those who love theater and were thinking about getting into it maybe in their lives because it will be a great cautionary tale <laughs> will scare away those who maybe were only a little bit committed to theater, but draw like a moth to a flame those who really want that kind of drama in their lives. It's really good. Oh, and Shit's Creek is pretty fun, too, but we're, I'm still not totally into it. All right, ah! that's our show. One more time. If you got a question, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Mom and Dad Are Fighting on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us out. And it helps you out, too, by making sure that you don't miss a single episode. Also, while you're there, write us a review. That also helps people find the show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson for Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp. I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. <laughs>